0: Okay, so in Romans 5, Paul told us, and Paul told us that God moved us from being under the power of sin to the power of grace, okay? In the analogies we were using last week, it was saying we were in poverty, God made us rich. And it was not because of our own doing, right? It was specifically because God, God did something. But he didn't tell us how that change happened in us. Right. He said that Christ did something that affected the moving from left to right, but he didn't say, so how did I become a partaker of that? Right. Like it not, right, he left it off as this thing happening in the distance for us, but he didn't get into the how for me. Right. And he'll do that after first answering the question of why can't we be messed up to show how good God is. Um, and he's going to talk about how the cross and resurrection are how we got out of debt, um, when we die and rise with him. So we're about to get into Paul announcing the implications. Okay. He's going to get into, okay, if this is true, if this happened, if Christ did do these things, what happened to us? What are, what are, what are the implications for us? What does that mean um, for us? And that's going to be the second half of the chapter. Um, so without further ado, he will talk to us about death to sin and life to God um, and, then, and then past it. So actually, I was supposed to read the chapter first and then tear it apart. So we will read the chapter. <laughs> um, we're going to read Romans 6 and then the first few verses out of um, Romans uh, um, 7. Uh, Just the first part of it, that's, that's related. Okay. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our former man was crucified with him, so that the sinful body might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions do not yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness but yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once yielded your members to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now yield your members to righteousness for sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But then what return did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during his life? Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brethren, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, so you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Grace of God, the Father, we withdraw all. Amen. Now we can get into it. Okay. So the first part is Paul, St. Paul is dealing with this question that we said already of okay, Um, he's saying, what shall we say? Should I continue in sin so that God's grace works more abundantly? And he says, of course not, by no means, okay? How can one who died to sin still live in it, right? Um, And that's just a basic concept. It's saying, if you know what you live for, Origen spends a lot of time on this, then that's nonsensical. Right. It's like saying, OK, I, I, I live for health, but let me pretend I live for unhealthiness so that people see what health looks like. He's saying that that's bizarre. OK. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk. In the new, new, newness of life. Okay. So now he's getting into the how did I join? He never explicitly said it, he just he just did it. Okay. He's saying, How did I participate um, in what Christ did? How did I become a member of this stuff that happened? This grace that God did. He actually just says a point blank: it's anybody who's been baptized. He's saying specifically, Your baptism is into Christ's baptism. Your baptism is participating in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's how it became in me, right? Before that, it was an external event, right? To a non baptized person till this day, their view of God is going to be out there, right? That Christ did this thing for people. But how do we become a member? So baptism is specifically our way of entering into this new covenant, right? And Paul is saying it de facto. Keep in mind that this is being written like with only a couple of decades after the death and resurrection of Christ. So we're not talking about something um, way later that the church made up, right? right? Paul is almost taking for granted that everyone is already doing this. Right. He doesn't stop to to explain it because he just assumes everyone's already doing it. Um, And so. He's going to when he's talking about going into this new way of life, this whole chapter is going to be him talking about um, death to life now through Christ. Right. So baptism for St. Paul, it's not a supplement to faith. Okay, it's not this thing that if you like Jesus, you can do. Right. There are some traditions that exist today in Christianity where it's like, yeah, if you want, it might be nice to baptize um, as a thing that's not necessary. But St. Paul's not talking like that. He's saying that the risen Lord, and he's using the word curiosity, that's something that had political and social significance. If you want to identify him as Lord, your allegiance and your participation, your citizenship is marked by this rite of initiation, of entering into the baptism with Christ. That's how you profess Christ as Lord, right? That's why when we baptize people today, before they're baptized, they face West and say, I renounce you. Right. I renounce you, Satan, and all of your works and all of your cunning and all of your and we go on and on and on and on. We denounce your old master. We renounce the old self. We renounce sin and death that we belong to before we turn east and pledge ourselves to Kyrios, to the Lord himself and saying, I confess you, O Christ. Right. It's a necessary step. Um, So clearly this tradition has already existed. And in fact, some people think that this whole chapter is based on um, an early form of a baptismal creed um, that was already going on. Um, And that um, this chapter might even be in some modification um, of an early baptismal uh, sermon that St. Paul might have been giving, giving to, um, uh, early believers. So our side of the covenant, okay. Is saying we reject sin. We reject the state that we're in. Okay. To use some of the analogies we talked about before, um, we're saying we, we don't want to be in debt. We don't want to be, um, diseased. And so we're pledging our covenant to, to God. And so water itself went from um, death to life, right? You can sink in the flood, right? You can be trapped in Egypt, right? Like they were, because they were stuck at the water before getting out of Egypt, right? What they were worried about was how are they going to get out of there, um, Sorry, one second to um, the moderators. Um, Sorry. So those waters could have been death for them, right? When they were trying to get out of Egypt, where they were slaves, right? Water could have been a source of death for them. They could have been blocked and staying in Egypt because of it. Or it could have been where they become drowned as well, just as those waters were, were death to the Egyptians, right? And so this water that could have been death became life. It killed the Egyptians. It killed the old slave master. But it was liberation, right, for the people um, of God. And so water that could have been a source of death actually became a source of life. So you can sink in the flood, you can be trapped in Egypt. But if you go through it with Christ, that's the key. If you go through it with God, now that water becomes life-giving. And that's why our baptism only means something because of Christ. That's why it wasn't a standalone ritual. It only means something because of Christ himself. And if you're gonna die, actually, this was a cool uh, um, meditation from Origin. What do you do when someone dies? You bury them, right? That's the natural thing that you're gonna do. So Origin says, if you're gonna die to sin, then you have to be buried with Christ. That's your baptism, right? And if we have not died to sin, because this is alive for us in real life, then you can't be buried with Christ because you don't bury someone who's still alive right? He takes the analogy even further, right? Um, and if you're not, if you didn't die and you don't get buried, then you don't rise. And so Origen's is trying to say, this is so real to you today, because we're going to get to, part of this is still future for us, right? The fullness of the resurrection is still future for us, right? So he's saying, you can't not go through these steps if you want to participate in the covenant, so in another way, let me just kind of not dumb it down, but make it more ba- a little bit more basic. He's saying, okay, you made an agreement with someone while you weren't in a state where you were kind of worthy of that agreement. Okay. So for example, you're making an agreement with a bank to give you a loan and you have no income, you have horrible credit and you're not, you're you're not even employed. And for some reason, the bank is saying, I'll give you a loan, okay? That's because the bank is really nice. It's not because you earned or you were deserving of this loan. And so you're saying, I'm going to accept this money that the bank is giving. Um, and the bank is saying, but this agreement only works if you're not doing the things that made you in debt in the first place. Okay, so there's a commitment here that that you are not gonna squander this money. Okay, it's a contract. It's a covenant. So the question he's asking now is, your state versus the gift givers is pathetic. Okay, and he's, he's reconstructing what everyone's saying. He's saying, so you're pathetic. I'm not saying that he's calling us pathetic. He's saying in this analogy, right? we all sucked. That was Romans one and two. Right. And so this deal shows how amazingly generous the bank is. Right. And so the question that was being asked by the people was now that you've made a deal, should you remain in debt just to show how awesome this bank is? And he's going to say, and so he's saying, he's just answered that. He's saying, Duh, that's stupid, right? That doesn't make sense. But people were asking this question. But then he's going to ask in a little bit, people then took it further and said, okay, I get it. I'm not allowed to just be dumb with my money as a living, as a lifestyle um, in order to prove God is good.
1: But, But can I, right? Is it okay for me to live the old man um,
0: or not So he continues verse 5 for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him um, in a resurrection like his. So he's saying it's deeper than we just said okay It's not just an agreement right so right so far he's been just dealing with an analogy. He's saying that this is not just you were in debt and someone gave you money. Right. He's saying if that's what you think it is, you're not really you're not getting it. Okay, He's saying, actually, something happened to you. We actually existentially, internally, something in us has now changed. This is where the disease analogy is better. He's saying this was not a matter of someone paying for your health care. He's saying you were sick and what Christ did made you not sick. Something happened. It's not just an action or, or, or a transaction. It's not just side effects. It's actually something happened. And so he took on your whole condition in order to fix it. Um, and that's why those rites of initiation are so important, right? Some people here might have been baptized as an adult, um, uh, and, you're, and we're lucky. Um, but if you were, you're able to see the significance of these things that all occur in a row, right? Where you're able to participate in the teachings. You're able to understand, okay, I was living in a certain way. I believed in a certain way. I lived my life for a certain way of thought of living. And now I actively am saying, I don't live for that anymore. Right? And so you went through that. And then you were confirmed. You were chrismated. You received the Holy Spirit, which which is the covenant of grace, so that you could partake in, in Eucharist. Everything in Christian life stems from your baptism. And we forget that it's important that we baptize infants. I do think it's important, but I do think that maybe we haven't done a good enough job of linking our whole lives to our baptism of understanding that these things that we talk about so casually and we have youth meetings about and online talks about and all this stuff about all of these are specifically a product of your baptism without baptism. You don't get this pass. You don't, you, you don't get any of it. Right, Everything stems from there. Verse 6, We know that our former man was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some people um, get bored that we recite the creed in our prayers, right? In the liturgy, in the igbeya, and different um, services of the church. But I'm, I'm hoping that what you're seeing right now is that what St. Paul is trying to do is show us how to live the creed and how to pray the creed. Because this is the creed that he's dealing with, right? So he starts off with death, the death of the Lord. So he's saying, okay, Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, okay? He's saying to us, we died to sin when we were baptized into his death. He says Christ was buried. And in this chapter he's saying, so are you. We have been buried. He's saying Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, okay? And he's saying that even as Christ was raised from the dead, we too are walking in the newness of life. we're resurrected right now. And again, alive to God in Christ Jesus now. And that in the future, we will be, United with him in a resurrection like his. So he's talking about a resurrection of now and a resurrection of later. Um, and he even says, who appeared after his resurrection, to, to Cephas, he says this elsewhere in, in Corinthians actually, and he's saying, just like Christ presented himself after resurrection, you too, in verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who have been b- brought from death to, to life. He's trying to say, We have to live. Now, as we said last time, salvation for Paul is something that's still in progress. Okay? And so he's talking to us now about how we can participate in the death and resurrection. And there's a now aspect and a later aspect. Because some people are like, okay, well, if Christ died, then how can we still die? Because we think that the resurrection means we don't die that. And St. Paul's saying, no, that's not what's happening. He's saying, right now we have an internal resurrection that we have victory over sin. The dead old man, he's dead no more. He is now alive in Christ. That's the now, that's the now part. The later part is, um, the victory, um, over death and bodily, um, resurrection that that's the part that's going to happen in the future. Okay. Um, This is so patristic. I'm not going to take you one by one through the fathers, but the fathers are all in agreement. Um, I had a quote from St. Silver, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to read it. He's saying, you need to have a new life right now. And I'm going to get into the more practical in a second. I'm sorry that this, like the beginning requires some explanation and then we'll get into the, how do I live this part, but the new body and eternal life are later. And so that's important for two reasons. A lot of Christians Deal with spiritual life as later, right? We talk about if you if you say to somebody um, if someone asks you why are you doing these deeds why are you acting like a Christian etc. Almost every person I've met that's a Christian has said so I can go to heaven, right? Or because I want to be with God. In heaven, as though the new covenant, as though the new being only begins at that point. And Paul is saying the opposite, he's saying that's not when it happens, it's already happened. It started already internally in you. And so your part of the covenant begins here. This is the resurrection of the the new man, but it is also your death and burial where you're continually dying to the old man. Otherwise, how are you gonna rise? So do you follow and trust him? Do you live like he did nothing, right? Is that what we're doing? Are we living like he did absolutely nothing? If so, then we're not only unfaithful, but we're unworthy of the vocation. We're unworthy of the calling, right? Because it's like, it's like, you know what it's like? If, if basically, if you waste your life here, okay? It's like saying my parents are working seven jobs between the two of them to make enough money to get me tutors to get into the program that I want.
1: And I'm going to skip the lessons that they paid for or sleep through them. You lose out now and you lose out later. If you're faithful, you study
0: now and you graduate later. Okay? That's in plain English what St. Paul is trying to say. And so what are you liberated from in this analogy? Because he's saying, oh, this is liberation. Well, the education has liberated you from ignorance. Your income has liberated you from poverty. But if you live in sin now, then you didn't live the life in Christ, right? Then you didn't die and you
1: didn't get buried um, with Christ. And so how do you expect to rise? That's, that's a big deal. Like, it, it, I hope it puts into perspective
0: how important what we do here is, Because I think we all like to talk about the lovey-dovey, God is so good, he loves me, he's nice, etc. And he does, he is nice, he does love you, okay? But I do have to do something, right? And the do something is what Christ said, um, what St. Paul said, sorry, in chapter 1, and he keeps repeating, of saying, faithfulness for faithfulness. It's saying that God's faithfulness to me demands a faithfulness back right? That's, that's what he's saying here. Um, So now he's going to talk about sin as having mastery over you, a part that I think we can all relate to. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Don't yield your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, um, just so you know, instruments here can also be translated as weapon, okay? Um, just so you get the analogy that he's doing. But yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments or weapons of righteousness. In a way, he's saying, choose who you're going to war for, Okay. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is heavy. Okay. Let's unpack that. He's saying, okay, God has restored your immunity and your health. Okay. You're no longer stuck in disease like you were before. Okay. He's saying before this, you were stuck. Um, And because you were stuck, you had to adjust your life based on your disease, right? So you're diabetic, you had to watch your sugars. You were dyslipidemic, you had to watch your cholesterol. You had Crohn's, you had to watch everything, okay? Um, He's saying you're freed from that, right? You're freed from all of the rules and all the stuff that came with your disease. You've been liberated from disease. And so he's saying, now that you've been liberated, don't yield yourself. Don't give up yourself. Don't surrender yourself up to disease again. He's saying, why would you want to become diseased again? Don't do that. Because now when you do it, you're doing it by your own choice. He's like, so like, like in plain English, part of me is just saying, Don't be stupid, right? Don't be an idiot. Why would you do that, right? You just got out of jail. What is wrong with you, right? Why are you going right back to your prison? Um, But instead, give yourself up to God, who liberated you from disease and death and has made you something good again. Disease can't own you anymore. You are not under law. You're under grace. So, the shift from the law to grace, I try to think of analogies to try and make this all make sense. Um, The former pharmacist comes out of me a lot. Okay. To me, this is like the shift from protocols and guidelines from healthcare to the art of medicine. Okay. By that, what I mean is. Protocols and guidelines are saying, okay, we're gonna teach you about the human body, we're gonna teach you physiology, we're gonna teach you chemistry, and we're gonna teach you all the rules and stuff that go along with that. Then, when you diagnose somebody and when you're treating somebody, here are all of the different um, ways that you're gonna do it. Okay, guy presents with diabetes. Step one, administer such and such test. Step two, proceed to this questionnaire. Step three, if positive for this, Start with this therapy. If that therapy p- fails, um, uh, consider adding therapy B. If that fails, increase dosage. If that fails, do this, do that. Like these are the guidelines. There's value to those guidelines. But those guidelines become restrictive to the physicist or the chemist who gets the body. Right? Where there might be a therapist because now any physician who doesn't follow the guidelines um, is possibly going to be sued, even though he might have therapeutically made a the right decision. But if something goes wrong and he didn't follow the guidelines, he's going to get owned by the law, right? And so now there's a doctor who feels restricted, right? Because he's looking at this patient and being like, metformin's not going to work, ladies and gentlemen sorry we need to go straight to insulin for this guy right like that's a thing but if he doesn't go through the process then he's on so 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 we've been liberated now from the law the rituals that governed us that were showing us what health looked like so the old testament laws showed us what health looked like that's why god is like don't do this so that you realize we need to be healthy so the law wasn't useless that's why saint paul here and later on in this book, is going to say, I am not trashing the law. I'm not saying the law is ridiculous. I'm just simply saying the law was restrictive. Okay, but the law served a purpose. So let's get a better analogy. Okay, to move it forward so we can really get into what St. Paul's saying. He's saying, You had an old master, Death. You had to play by his rules. And everything you did led to death, because you were owned by death. No matter how good you were, no matter how bad you were, you died, okay? This had impositions, rules, canons. At the end of the day, you're dead. Now, Paul is saying, you don't need to present yourself to that master anymore. That would be, as we said, stupid, okay? You're intentionally going back to him, to the law, and to slavery, Why would you do that? Instead, he says, don't offer yourself to the old master. Instead, become the weapons, become the instruments for God, a way of righteousness, participating in the conquering of death and evil through Christ himself. Right? He's saying, join the right side of the war. He's saying, join the team of the one who freed you from death and doesn't impose on you all sorts of regulations that end up with your death. Because he's saying, now every action you do even has meaning. And now every death that you have doesn't end in death. It actually now ends in resurrection. If you join team Jesus, if you will. So what's what's the reign of grace then? According to St. Paul, the reign of grace is saying, you are now under not the lordship of death, you are now under the reign, the kingdom of God, which means not being under sin, which means not being under death, which means not being under the law. That's what St. Paul is saying grace is, right? It's being, being freed from all of these things. Basically, the empire of sin, okay, the Sith, has been replaced by the empire of grace, Um. Is that really clear? Because St. Paul is now um, about to take um, a turn to answer some other questions. Um, Right now, he's answered the question of, should we sin? He said no, clearly, Um, and he's about to get into the, now that I don't have protocols,
1: can I do whatever I want? Okay. Is that clear to everybody? The first part of it
0: was, should I do this to show how good the protocol is? And then what we're about to get into is now that I don't have a protocol per se, can I do whatever I want? Um, Any questions
1: on that first part specifically before we move um, on? Okay. Um, now he's going to talk about being slaves of sin or of righteousness. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin or can we sin because we
0: are not under law but under grace? And he says, absolutely not. Okay? So people were asking this for two reasons. Okay? Some people were asking this because genuinely they wanted to know, can I? Others were asking it rhetorically to say, dude, now all chaos is going to break loose because everyone's going to think they're an artist and everyone's going to think they have the art of medicine. And then now healthcare is going to go down the drain because you've said there's no law. Right? So the question is coming from two perspectives. He continues, do you not know that if you yield yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. This is why Romans is a hard book. So what he's saying is what you do, okay? Your actions, your choices, your decisions, everything that you do, I do. Whatever that is, That's an indication of who you serve, okay? Think about it, right? Ask yourself,
1: actually ask yourself, why do you do the things you do? Take a moment and pause and think about
0: it. Why do you go to school? Why do you brush your teeth? Why do you message your
1: friends? Why do you wear the clothes you wear? Why did you choose the clothes that you put on? Trivial and big. Ask that question. It will be an indication of why you do the things that you do.
0: It might be happiness. It might be to some religion. It might be ambition. It might be career. It might be ego. It might be just I love fashion. It could be a whole bunch of things. But there's a thing that motivates us. And the decisions that we make are indications of what it is that we serve. What you care about is going to determine your actions. It, your actions show who or what runs you. And I think in society, we have that concept, right? A husband who does whatever his wife says, we call whipped, right? I'm not saying that's true or false. I'm just saying these are societal references to that con, con, concept, right? Somebody who's driven by money, we call that person money hungry. Someone who's driven by pleasure, we call a hedonist, right? We, we have these concepts. So we're aware that people behave based on what drives them. And so what St. Paul is trying to say, if sin drives you,
1: then you might not have thought that you are willing to make sin your master. But you are. You're being obedient
0: to a driving force, and that driving force isn't righteousness. It's in, and that means actually that you're an idolater of some sort when you do that. All of us, even if that idol is yourself, right? And so St. Paul, like St. Paul, packs hardcore stuff in 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 in, in really like fast things um, that you almost don't realize what what drove by you um, when he's done it. Um, now, before we continue a note has to be said right now about Paul's use of the word slave. Okay. Um, because some people like today in the 21st century, when you say, I'm a slave of Jesus, um, that sounds horrible. Right. Then it's just like, why, why are you a slave? Right. Whereas slave in, in the first century doesn't mean what it does today. Slave in the first century. Okay. Um, had its own kind of dignity to it. It wasn't like, it wasn't um, the way we, we think of slavery in, in, in America, Right. Like that led to the civil rights movement. It was a position where a person, his meaning or her meaning only came from the master, but they could be teachers, they could be accountants, like they could have a trade, right? They could, they could be skilled, they could be educated. So it wasn't a derogatory term the way that it is today. Right. Now in those days, because this analogy is going to come up again in chapter seven that we're covering today, three classes of people. Had no meaning, sorry, they had no meaning, they had no identity to society
1: unless they were rooted in a man. Women, sorry, ladies, children, and
0: slaves. So, St. Paul, when he's talking about being a slave to God or being a slave to sin, is taking it beyond how you think of slavery. He's saying, In whom do you find your meaning? in whom do you derive your identity? Because these three kinds of people had no identity unless rooted in a particular male. That's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about slavery, okay? Um, So for Paul, slavery is a matter of identity. It's not a matter of servitude only, okay? It's a matter of who you are. So he's
1: now saying Find your meaning in God. Get your identity from God.
0: Be God's slave. When you understand slave properly, this text is, is less offensive. In fact, it's very deep. So let's rephrase what he's saying so far. He's saying, you were a slave to an old master. Your life sucked. In that life, you had 100 million rules that didn't actually save you from being a slave. Not just that, it ended up with you just dying miserably and being hopeless. The reason you were a slave is because you messed up royally. Along comes our Lord Jesus. He takes the form of your slavery. He fulfills the hundred million rules perfectly. And he submits himself to the same death That you were all subject to because to be freed from a master someone had to liberate you and pay your cost so he's saying he submitted himself to that because of what he did you were freed from that master you were freed from that debt and you're liberated from the consequences from the and permanent effect on you Okay, you're brought into this new era, to this new master where there's not a hundred million rules and where death doesn't own you. Now he's saying, so should you do the things that were forbidden by the rules before, now that you're not bound by them? And he's saying, no, of course not. That's what got you into this whole mess to begin with. Right? It was that you didn't understand health that made you diseased, that made death reign over you. It was that you were doing ridiculous things that necessitated writing out the law. And so we've removed the law, not because the law was stupid and not so that you can have a free for all but saying return to the art of medicine, but you have to live according to health still because health is real. That's what he's, what he's saying. So now we're asking, um, okay, I shouldn't, but can I? And he's saying, come on guys, okay? Where do you find your meaning? Don't do things that kill you, <laughs> right? That's his response to that. And that's why he takes a moment here because there's always a tough crowd in every single generation and he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. This is St. Paul saying, okay, guys, I know the analogy isn't perfect. Okay. Um, And that's a really important thing to pay attention to because sometimes we take everything, even from the Bible as standard. When the author himself has said, I'm just giving an example here. Okay. I'm I'm just, I'm trying to illustrate a concept for you is what St. Paul um, is, is saying. Four, just as you once yielded your members to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity. So just like you gave yourself up to to being anti-health and got more and more extravagant in in your pursuit of that. He's saying now, instead of, of giving so much energy to wrong, give it to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, this is so philosophical but so important. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But then what return did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. So what he's saying, he's saying, listen, okay? In, be- being, in being a slave to something, okay? In finding your meaning in something,
1: you're being liberated, if you will, from another thing. When you lived in sin, you were free
0: of righteousness. You weren't held captive or or bound or restricted by what makes righteousness righteous. Okay? So, if you reject eating meat, okay, by becoming a vegetarian...
1: Now you're bound by the laws and rules that govern vegetarianism,
0: okay? So he's saying, you subscribe to this philosophy, you've chosen this as your master, you've got a whole bunch of things that come from it. And in, in being in that mindset, you're actually liberated, if you will, from the mindset and practices of those who practice carnivorism, okay? You're saying, what school are you, are you part of? So in choosing, for example, to be a slave to democracy, to find your meaning in democracy, you're bound to the rules and regulations that govern democracy. And you're liberated, for example, from the rules and regulations that come from communism. Okay? Being one thing means you're not another. Or here's another analogy. In choosing to find your meaning from your spouse, okay, you are now not married to however many billion people that you're not married to. Okay, that's, that's kind, of, kind of what he's saying. Now, understand this concept of liberation. Everyone is bound by something. Whether you like it or not, something binds you.
1: It might be family, ambition, money, lust, religion, but something binds you. And if, if it's not the truth, capital T,
0: it's a lie. And that, like, that demands of us to ask, who do we serve? St. Paul's not just asking it for
1: fun. So, St. Paul is saying if something was wrong, it was already wrong. It wasn't wrong because of the
0: law, right? The law showed you that it was wrong, but the law didn't make it wrong. Okay? So, um, just because you don't have a rule book in front of you isn't license for a free for all. And he's going to sum up what that means in one verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ,
1: our Lord. When you were a slave to sin, what that master paid you with was death. That's what your master's wages to you were. Whatever you did, you ended up dead. And he's saying,
0: but if you're liberated from that and choose righteousness to be your source of meaning, you
1: receive free gifts of grace, life, and, resurrect and resurrection. On a living practical level, that's well and
0: good, right? Like those are, those are powerful words. But I, I would challenge all of us to ask ourselves what we're slaves to actually, right? I'm sure all of us, myself included, we all know that there's some sins that we just don't give up. We just refuse to give up. We conceptually might think we shouldn't do it, right? But we do it. Um, and, and so I, I, as much as I love St. Paul's answer, I also feel the difficulty of it, right? in the sense that it's hard to die, right? It's really, really hard to die. Um, And I think that maybe some of the people saying, can we, we're looking for an escape clause of saying, I I found this new master, but I'm addicted to my old life. um, And I don't know what to do, right? And so it's really, 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 really important for us to realize that our yes to anything other than righteousness is actually an active embracing of our old master, right? And that, that's, that's a big deal. And it's really mean, right? Like it's, 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 it's a horrible thing that we're doing. Not because God is getting all angry at us, but it's a horrible thing in terms of what it means, right? In terms of being able to say, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like you died, you did all this nice stuff, as though dying was like a small thing, right? Or that it was a small deal for God to become man, but I prefer this. And so our only means of being made right, and that's what he's saying through all of this, is Christ. That's one of the reasons folks why we have Eucharist, why God gave himself
1: up in Eucharist. Because if our one ticket to being made right was only our
0: baptism. We're so screwed. <laughs> right? Like the, the end of it is death for all of us, right? And so Christ gave us reconciliation. He gives the sacrament of, of, of reconciliation, right? But it's also why when we partake of Eucharist, we don't just say, given for us to partake of you, to be one with you and one with everyone else. It says also given for the remission of sins right? That in it, I can keep on being restored to health. That's why Eucharist is such a big deal. That's why if you're not worked up that we don't have Eucharist, you should be worked up that we don't have Eucharist. Okay. Because we need it, right? Yes. There's an allegorical and spiritual Eucharist in our being one, 100%. And that's real. That does not take away from that sacrifice of Christ of what Paul is talking about here. Right, where he's saying that this person, Jesus Christ, is God. He went to your old master. He took on the slavery that you're under. He walked in there. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the regulation. He paid the price of what it costs to redeem you because to be free from the master means paying for you. He did all of that, laid himself down to liberate you in the flesh that you can partake in him so that you can die and rise with him and no longer
1: be a slave. True story. Okay. It's not a cute story. It's a true story. And so this is heavy,
0: right? This is, this is, this is heavy stuff that Paul um, is, is saying. Um, One last thing he's saying is a consequence. Okay. So he's talked about your change. He talked about, about what to do and what not to do. He talked about how you're liberated. He talked about how you received it. And there's one more thing he's going to say is an effect um, in chapter seven. So he's saying, don't you know, brethren, I'm speaking to those who know the law. He's saying now to the Jews, he's like, okay, Jews, in case you don't get it. So the first part of the questions he's asking were maybe more relevant to the Gentiles because they didn't have the law before. So they were allowed to be headedness. They were allowed to do whatever they were doing, right? Um, So they might've been a little bit more into the, can I do what I used to do in terms of weird practices. The Jews had it in a different way because the Jews were like, okay, but we had the law of God. So maybe we're different. So he's saying, okay, now I'm speaking to those who know the law. He's saying to those of you in the Christian church who are former Jews, that the law is binding on a person only during his life, So a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's discharged from the law. And I'm not going to reread the whole thing. And he says that while the husband's alive, she's bound to the husband. And if she sleeps with someone else or marries someone else, she's considered an adulteress. But if the dude dies and she now is married to another guy, no one's going to call her an adulteress anymore because that law died with the guy. Right. Um, and so he's saying, that's what I'm saying to you.
1: You died to the law through the body of Christ. And so you're not bound anymore
0: by the law in the same way of that woman. Right. So he's saying, okay, the, the rules apply to people who are alive. Um, the, like that example of the woman. Um, so you're now dead to this old master. When you died. He's not your master anymore. You don't owe him any allegiance. Um, you are now married to a person. You're no longer married to sin. You're married to Christ. Um, and now you're a new person in Christ. Now you're married to Christ and you can give birth to living children through the new life of the Spirit, is what he's saying. He's still going to explain why that still doesn't allow for behaving stupidly. Um, but He's not going to do that now. Um, so how did we go from one state to the other? Baptism. And I guess the question for all of us uh, um, should be, do we live? Do we live according to our baptism? Right? That's 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 the reason why the church and the Igbaya. Calls every morning for the reader to read Ephesians and says, I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called because your entrance, your entrance into the Lord Christ was through your baptism. Right. The baptism is a sign of your entry into this covenant of grace. The baptism is a sign of your resurrection and the resurrection of all of us when Abuna at the end of a liturgy is walking around spraying water at you, which is honestly so much fun. Um, and I miss it. Um, he's reminding you of the baptismal waters of saying, you are all children of the covenant. You entered the covenant by the waters of, of the baptism and you're, and you're sprayed with it. Right. I was at an Eritrean Orthodox baptism um, recently and the Eritreans Um, At the end of the baptismal service, during the end of service hymn, the priest actually sprays the people with the water of the baptismal font. I had never seen that before, Um, which had to me very deep signification. I I wondered, I don't know, I I really don't know if that is where we got the sprinkling of the water at the end of liturgy or not. Um, But that's the big question, right? Do I live according to that promise? And if I'm not... I must be reconciled. I must be fixed again. And that's why the baptism is the door to grace and our access to grace is our access to Christ, which he manifests through sacramentally, right? That's how we access him. All of this is, is a really, really big deal. Um, Paul will move on um, next time to talk about what is the old man and what is the new in more detail. Um, Glory to God forever. Amen. I'm sorry. I know I ramble. I wasn't as long as I usually am today. Um, Are there any uh, questions, comments, meditations, um, insights um, that you guys want to
1: bring to it um, related to this um, or not? Um, what do we mean by the law?
0: The rules in Leviticus, the Ten Commandments, the rules of the OT, of the Old Testament. I'm confused because on the one hand, we should still follow the law. But on the other hand, the law, e.g. circumcision, doesn't need to be followed. Um, yes, and that's how it has a whole bunch of debate. What it appears to be through Paul is in a sense, all of them, but not. Right? So the ritual laws, we're not we're not under for sure, right? You don't need to do ablutions before you do anything, right? Um, and we talked a little bit of this in the Romans 5, if you want to check out the, the recording on there too in a bit more detail. Um, morality never changed. And that's why that's why, like, let's go back to that analogy of the guidelines, okay? Is that the guidelines existed, they weren't arbitrary, okay? So the parts that have to do with absolute truth those never changed. What does that mean in the analogy? If we were saying to somebody, "A fever is a sign of danger, lower the fever." That didn't change because there's a factual thing going on. Right? Um versus saying here were protocols about how to admit somebody into the hospital. Right? Versus saying Um, you must go in this order, right? So that um, righteousness or holiness, that's an identity, okay? So we're not free from the moral law in any way, shape, or form. But it's not because moral law is a law. I actually think it's wrong that we call it moral law. It's because that's identity, okay? So what I mean by that is, I have flesh. That's part of my identity. Flesh has properties. So if somebody said, here's a rule do not take a knife and cut your skin. Right? That rule was given to maybe teach us that you don't do that. I don't know why people would do it. Okay, but that's that was there. But it's it's because because there's a truth about my my body that cutting it causes injury that's just a fact right so the rules that govern it were meant to teach me about my identity and so the law the, the law in this sense is what we're trying to say is you're not doing things anymore because of rules about it about your body and in fact anything that had anything to do with randomness you're not there anymore either, right? So I hope that clarifies a little bit. It's about it's about nature. It's about your your actual substance more than it is about um, regulations. Um, can you speak more about what um, grace is? Can it be understood? Yeah. So grace grace by definition just means gift. Okay. That's 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 all it means. Um, and, it, and, and that's why, and it means literally free gift. It's not a conditional gift. Um, in this particular um, context, um, St. Paul is saying that the grace is
1: freedom from sin, freedom from death, and participation in the resurrection.
0: So he's saying that's what, that's what the grace is of the covenant, right? And that's so important because I think people think grace is magic, right? We tend to talk about grace as, oh, if God
1: but gives me the grace, I will no longer insert bad thing here. And that's not
0: totally wrong, Okay, But it's not understanding really what it is. It's that it's faithfulness for faithfulness. And so I participate in the life of Christ so long as I'm living in faithfulness to Christ. But if I choose to live in disease, I am choosing not to live in grace. So it's not God removed grace. right? It's not that God said, ooh, that one's gross. Let me take it away right it's that i said ooh i don't want that i want this right and so it's it's not like it's not these instantaneous events can god intervene at moments and give like steroid injections of help? absolutely okay yes he can um not only he can he does um but just that a steroid injection is not the norm okay um but living a healthy way is the norm otherwise we're not living in covenant we're living on life support um and, and god doesn't want us to live like that he he wants us he gave us dignity um
1: sorry let me go back uh okay can you go over one
0: more time how we can reconcile the idea of being a slave here with us being children of god so slave here like we said is in the specific meaning um, of first century Mediterranean culture, which is saying, derive your identity, is what Paul is saying. Find your, your, your personhood in God. And that's a fact. You are not a person outside of God. I'm sorry, you're not. Right, Whether you believe in him or not, you're not a person, if there isn't a God. Because your meaning, your whole existence, only actually has meaning because someone made it. Right, so Paul is not saying be a slave as in tie your hands up. He's saying um, you guys all know what slaves are to his his own people. You know that it means you have no identity. It means your identity is in your master. He's saying find your identity in Christ, and that's actually why Christ says to us, "I don't call you slaves." Some translations, because of the sensitivity around the word servants, um, in some translations it depends on how you translate the Greek. Um, say, servants, but Christ saying, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. Right? So we also need to differentiate how God views us um, uh, from, from how we view ourselves. Um, why do we have to be reminded of baptism? Um, I think it's because we forget. Right? There's no, um, there's no commandment from God saying, have these memories of your baptism. Although, in a way, there is, because he says that we must do Eucharist, and he says that every time you do, it's a commemoration of his death and resurrection, which is our baptism in his. Um, uh, someone's question. Uh, Nancy, half of your question got lost, so if you can resend it, Nancy Gwony, it would be great. Sorry to put you on blast. I won't say which one was yours. Um... If sin has no reign over us, hi, Nicholas, I still owe you a message. I'm sorry. Um, Why is it still (laughs) such a struggle? We believe that we are actually buried and raised with Christ at baptism. So I wonder why the old life is still so easy to fall back into. Bro, that's like, that's all of our, that's our struggle. Like really, Um, in the sense that um, I hear you, right? I think that the issue is um, we've been addicts for so long. Right. And so we, we get so accustomed to it, right. It's like how we are when we go back to work after a vacation, right. It's like um, after you've been fit for a while, then you get back into the habit of no exercise, eat whatever you want and all of that. It's so hard to go back into it um, because the whole of our being um, has been devoted to disease, whether we realize it or, or not. Um,
1: and that's why those who are athletes for Christ, right? Like those who
0: um, really subject the body, we see the beauty of grace from that. And those are the ones that find it difficult to go back to sin. It's the opposite for them, right? Right? Where, like, I've talked to, like, I've asked, I've asked Abuna Lazarus this question, actually. Um, Abuna Lazarus, the, the hermit that you guys have probably seen on CYC and all of that. I asked him recently, do you ever think about your old life? Right? Like, do you ever think about what, it's, what it was like for you when you were the atheist philosophy professor? Um, who your friends were? The kind of stuff that you did? And he he didn't have to pause and think. He was like, Oh Lord, no. He goes, I, I, as much as I can, don't think about it. Um, and he goes, and I think it's a grace that I don't, he goes, cause I think I'd hate the old me. Um, and he was like, and also because um, he goes, I don't even want to remember it. Right. Like where he doesn't even have the, like the desire for it, not cause he's afraid necessarily what's going to do to him, but of saying, why would I want to recall my life in slavery, right? So it was really cool to see that that's doable, right? Like that, that a human being that we, that we can touch and see and who's very normal um, and sometimes um, is very sarcastic um, can, um, can reach that. Because I think that it's like, I think, I think it's because I'm not healthy, so I don't know how to talk about it. But I think it's like those who are so healthy they've got this six-pack they're crazy runners they can do shot put the idea of eating junk food actually eventually becomes repulsive to them right so i think i think that's the key i'm not there yet so i can't can't help with that one um uh, i always wonder does saint paul's words apply to sin's of the addictive nature how can i reconcile wanting to be a slave to righteousness but struggling with ridding oneself the slavery of sin and and, uh, sorry uh, ridding oneself of the slavery of sin and uncleanness it goes back to what we were just talking about but i think that's why saint paul is trying to paint the picture for us so clearly right when we're when we're pursing through a first century letter um, written in greek it's so much harder for us when we're reading this to get what he's saying Right. But I think if you were a first century Jew or Gentile, former Jew or Gentile reading this, that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to, if you want some help getting out of it, realize the situation you're in. Right. So I would say like, this is why we need to actively, when we're praying that prayer prayer every day.
1: And if we don't to at least stop every morning, reflect and say, who am I a slave to today?
0: Right. Um, And even in your moments of repentance, right. Even those moments where we catch ourselves sinning and I do, and I like, I'm the first to admit it. Um, Those of you from SMSM, like I remember, like I told you guys that one time where I, I, this was me as a priest just three months ago, like absolutely decided I'm sinning period. Right. I had it in my head Father Joe gave an amazing sermon, practically directed at me. And I'm like, thanks. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. I know what you're trying to do here. I hear you. I'm going to sin, right? We went over to a wonderful woman's house from the church. Um, she's having this mystical experience where the saints are present, right? And I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm just like, cool. Thanks. I'm still going to sin. <laughs> Finished liturgy. Felt a little bit of grace we up in the morning, like, nah, I'm doing it. Um, we're like that. But in our repentance, right? In our repentance, we need to step back, right? We need to step back and say, Lord, move to the, move to the wedding analogy he gives. Today, I wanted my old husband. Like, today, I was choosing to be married to death. That was my decision today, right? Um, And I'm I'm sorry that I was unfaithful. And actually that analogy captures St. Paul even better because he's saying his faithfulness demands our faithfulness back. Where we'll look at him and say, it's beautiful how faithful you are to me in spite of my unfaithfulness to you, right? If we keep that as our analogy, spiritual life will become romantic, okay? And actually, if you take that analogy even further, St. Paul actually said, become a warrior for Christ, right? So it's saying, today I crossed enemy lines and I joined camp enemy and I deserted. And for some reason, every time I say I want to come back to your army, you, you let me.
1: Like, who are you that you're not even doubting my um, my ability to be on your team? Right? Like, any, any
0: normal person would be like, sorry, bro, you've deserted five times. I can't trust you on the battlefield. Right? So I would say, for help with this, it's to return to these analogies that St. Paul is giving us. Right to come back to the sense of romance, to come back to the sense of faithfulness, to come back to the sense of of war. He's using all of them at the same time. Um, can you uh, clarify what is meant by Christ fulfilled the law? Yeah. So the law of our mortality was mortality. Okay, we died. Okay, the law that we were in required that we die. We were also required because of the old covenant, because he says here i'm talking to the jew right we were required to do certain things okay so we were required um, to do these ritual purifications right we were required that when you were ill that you present yourself um, for washing and then being permitted back into the temple if you had leprosy you had to yell leper right and there's various reasons for various laws so christ is saying you were under a condition because you couldn't be made well Actually, here's another analogy. I like this analogy. Um, that's usually like it's a good Good Friday analogy. You guys are taking daily doses of enzymes to keep you alive. And so you had all of these rituals that you had to do faithfully to remain the people of the Lord. You had to do all of these things to show that you were keeping your end of the covenant but the people never were able to keep the covenant. They weren't ever. They never successfully ever, right? Moses comes down to the 10 commandments and he comes down to them already offering (laughs) idols. So he breaks them all at once. (laughs) Um, Poor Bible joke there. But he goes back up, he gets them, he comes back and in no time there's like civil war. Right? In no time, his own sister is saying, who do you think you are, Mr. Moses? I'm the, I'm the one who threw you in the thing. So they never kept the law. So what what fulfilling the law is that Christ came and he did fulfill the law. He didn't break a
1: single part of the law. Some of you are going to say, but wait a minute, he broke the Sabbath. He didn't.
0: Right? And that's why he says to them, no, 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 no you guys made up these rules of the Sabbath. I never said that, right? They had made up rituals about how to keep the Sabbath. And so, yes, he broke that one, but he didn't break the law. He kept the law completely um, so that it would be, so that he could say, I have accomplished for you in human flesh real faithfulness so that you don't have to keep this deal anymore. Why? This is really deep if you want to get excited now. Because a covenant, the covenant that was made, if you break the covenant, you're supposed to die. Right? When Abraham and God go for a walk in Genesis and they're by the oaks of Mamre, God says to Abraham things that might sound so weird to you Right, where he says, light a fire. Okay, Um, uh, Cook up some food. Actually, he said, bring the food. He said, cut up these animals, put them in halves. Um, Those were rituals of their time for how two people entered into a deal. They would cut the animal in half, split in half, light a fire in the middle, they'd have a meal. That was the deal. And the deal would say, if you don't keep your part of the covenant, see those dead animals, <laughs> that's you. Okay? And to seal the deal, you walked up and down between those. If you look at what God did with Abraham, who is the, who is the prototype that um, St. Paul is
1: using, God walked up and down. Abraham didn't. God knew that
0: man wasn't going to keep his end of the deal. And so he even humbled himself to not make man humiliate himself. Right? And so he himself came and said, I will, on behalf of all of humanity, all fulfill that part
1: so that humanity isn't subject to death. That's how we fulfill the law. Um, uh, Uh,
0: Why do we need to have communion more than once, unlike baptism? Why isn't one-time communion sufficient enough? Because that's our only access to life. Or I should say, our, our main access to life. Which is why Christ said to. He said, I'm doing this, you need to
1: repeat it. Um He said, Every time you eat of my body and drink of
0: my blood, you do this. Okay? And to show you the parallel, in the old testament, the the first Passover, which is what christ is he's he's our new passover he ordered them he said in every year you will make a memorial to me you will write it on your lintels you will write it on your doors and you will do this and you will tell your children this is the day in which the lord did this this and this and this and this so why did he want us to do it all the time a so that we could continually be renewed b because he knew we were going to mess up so that we could still be forgiven and see, it's because if you don't have Eucharist, you lose your identity, right? Your identity is Christ. So to not be united to Christ is to, is to rip that. The reason why baptism is only once is because baptism is your participation in Christ into the new life that he's talking about, okay? It's your, your death, and you only need to die once, right? It's you're entering into a new covenant. If you're making a billion covenants, then covenants are meaningless. What he's done is saying, I've given you one new covenant once and for all that can be, that has a fixing in it clause for when you mess up.
1: And so, so Eucharist is there so that we continue to have life. Um,
0: Oops, I accidentally scrolled to the very top. Um, uh, Can you go over the analogy of the married woman? When her spouse dies, therefore she's no longer under the obligation. What does the spouse represent? Being under the law or being enslaved by sin? So he was saying your first spouse was death and all that came with that. It was your old, it was your pre-covenant, pre-new covenant self. And so he's saying, okay. That husband's dead. Now you're liberated by being with this new spouse. You don't need to worry about that anymore. Because he said here, he said in particular, because I'm talking to you Jews. He's saying, you guys are really worked up about, wait a minute, what does that mean about the law? God gave us the law. How can you tell me not to do it? Won't that get me in trouble with God? And so St. Paul's saying, no, it won't, because your husband's dead. So you're not bound by the rules of that marriage anymore. Um, for those who are baptized as babies, why is it natural to sin if we acquired the new nature of the resurrected Christ? Because we suck. Really, that's, that's the reason why. If we all lived our covenantal life, sinning would be hard. Right? Right? When I am with the monks at the monastery on my annual retreats, I feel compelled to behave
1: <laughs> because
0: they're behaving, right? Like if, ima- imagine if you walked in on like, I don't know, monks reading the Bible and you walked in and just started cussing up a storm, <laughs> you would feel weird Right? Like, it, it, it would be unacceptable. The reason why it's so natural to sin is because we've gone back to our mud. We've gone back to our first, sp- our, our, our first spouse, and we stopped finding meaning in Christ. Right? Um, when holiness is seen, it changes everyone. Right? It changes everyone. Um, there are people, I'm sure you guys have all seen it, where you'll see someone and you feel different, even, even if they didn't have a deep conversation with you. There's something that, like, um, exudes. Um, to the Californians on here, Tan Samira, man, like, that lady, right? Like, I, like, even before knowing her, seeing her made me want to cry, right? And it, and, it, and it made me feel safe at the same time. Right, um, it's it fills you with awe and reverence and joy and hope all at the same time. Um, so the reason why it's easy to sin is because we're not holy. Um, which Egbeya prayer? The uh, the first hour. It's an introduction to the first hour. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about walk worthy of the vocation of earth you're called. Um, are we supposed to not keep count of any of our old sins um, or old man? I would say no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep count. Um, I mean, the only time, I, mean, I could be wrong. Abuna, please correct me. I think the only time where it's useful to look back at the um, old man. <laughs> I'm watching you, Abuna. Um, I think the only time where it might be useful to look at the old man is when you're fought with arrogance. Okay, when you're when you're when you're being plagued by um, by ego, and I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's the only time I can think of where it's a little bit helpful, and not to like get into self-loathing, right? But when it's like, if you are being arrogant, some guy in front of you um, did something wrong, and you knew it was wrong, right? It's sometimes helpful to say, "I'm judging." This guy for doing this, and I'm the guy who does. Um, insert here, right? I find it helpful for myself um, to do that when I'm tempted to judge, or if I'm feeling myself, or I think that I'm somehow God's gift to the earth. Um, other than that, um, I don't think it's very useful. Actually, my, my father confession growing up, um, he had this one liner, he was great. Like he is great. And he had these great liners, one-liners, where he often said, if the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Um, And it was, he's a beast like that. Um, What role does confession play in our participation in grace? That is an awesome question because it shows that you get where it's going. Okay. Is that confession is the sacrament of reconciliation, right? So confession is when you go back to your spouse and say, I was unfaithful and I'm sorry. Right. And that um, your spouse says to you, I love you. I forgive you. Right. We don't need to renew marriage vows. Right. That's why we don't baptize again. Right. We're not renewing them. I forgive you. I love you too. Come eat with me. That's why confession was supposed to precede Eucharist of saying, come back to the table you were sleeping with the other guy, and you were eating at his table. Welcome home. Let's have dinner together again. Right? There's something so visceral about the sharing of a meal. Right? It's the way that, that wars are ended. It's the way that families are, are reconciled.
1: Um, and that's why every sacrament points at Eucharist. Every single one of them. Are there any sins God won't forgive?
0: None. None. Period. Okay? There's no however's. There's no, like, but in the case, nothing. There is no sin
1: that God does not forgive. And that's, that's the crux of what St. Paul is saying, right?
0: Is that St. Paul is saying, so people are shocked, they're scandalized by this. They like the law. They like the penal system. It helped them, right? It, may, it helped them make sense of the world. So when Paul is saying, done, gone, nope, rules gone, they're like, what? Like, then what, what, do, we, what, what do we do, right? That was the natural reaction. And that's God's faithfulness. And that's why St. Paul is saying, do you want to have the right response
1: to this faithful lover who forgives you no matter what? Be faithful back. Right? That's what he's saying. Be a
0: good spouse. Don't abuse your husband's love. Don't say just because my husband forgives me, just because my husband is nice. It's okay for me to trample over my marriage for me to say that I don't care about your love. He's saying, if you want to do it right, um, get married, married back. By the way, I know it's been like, we've been, I, I hope you guys don't mind the questions. Anybody who wants to be balanced, don't feel rude. Like if you leave, I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, I'm egotistical, but I won't be wounded by this. Um, you talked about thinking about why we do things. Can you talk about what we're supposed to do when we're doing good things, but for the wrong reasons? Like if we're praying or fasting for your own pride or going to church, because you have FOMO, that's so real, by the way. How do you fix that? Like, obviously, you shouldn't stop going to church, but it's almost a stumbling block. What,
1: what do we do? No problem. Like, it's, it's like saying,
0: I'm enjoying my marriage so much because it makes me feel good, right? And it's saying, okay. Or I'm, I'm not going to be unfaithful to my husband Because I want to have a good time when I'm at home, right? Or for insert positive reason here. Are those why we're married? No. Okay? Is it the perfect reason for doing good? No. Are you going to benefit more if you fixed it? Sure. But it doesn't mean you have a bad marriage. It means that you haven't reached a perfect marriage yet. Right. And so our struggle is to be working towards loving God for who he is. And that's a work in progress for all of us. Right. And, and all of us, as we're more and more exposed, I'm going to digress a little bit here because it's related. The more we enter into the light of Christ. Okay. Cause he's light. The more exposed we become towards ourselves. Right. Because we see ourselves more clearly. And at the beginning, that's uncomfortable, right? We were like, oh, whoa, I did not know I had this blemish. Or, wow, when I had this shirt on, I thought I was so skinny. I'm clearly not, right? I got on the scale, I'm like, ooh, um, (laughs) no, I haven't had it under control. We become exposed, okay? But the more we want truth, when we see how, first of all, God's response to our imperfection isn't mean, right? Then I start to be not only more comfortable, but I also start to say, can you help me fix it? Which is what St. Paul was saying. He's saying, you're sick and you can't fix you. So this doctor can. And so as you start to get closer to God, right, then you'll be like, okay, you know what? I'm taking off all my clothes. Sorry for the analogy, but that's what it is. Right. I, 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 like I was, I, first I was in my finilla I was in my undershirt. I was this, no, I'm taking like, Lord, show me, show me, fix me. I'm yours because you'll, you'll be feeling this ocean of love that comes out of him. That becomes your source of dignity, not your own. And so you lose that sense of of self, okay? So what do you do when you're in this position of, of maybe not being perfect? It's okay. But the fact that you are aware that you're actually being a little bit unfaithful in your faithfulness is a sign that you're a healthy person, right? It's a sign that you're sensitive to this disease, right? Only people who have some degree of health can notice the disease. So good that you can see that, right? So the next part would be like, okay, I wanted to go to the gym for the sake of having a six pack. So when I go to the beach, everybody says how hot I am. And so I'm saying, okay, good that you noticed that that's what you're doing. Redirect and say, I need to be healthy because health is good, period. It's intrinsically good, right? So that's a work in in, in progress. Um, regarding or forgetting your old man, wouldn't you want to know what triggers you fall into sin? Yes, um, I agree with that. Um, it, it's helpful for learning about yourself. Um, what I meant earlier about only being helpful for the one thing was I meant reliving it or condemning myself or um, revisiting my, 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 my list. Um, but absolutely, we should learn from um, the things that, uh, that, we, that we've done. Um, what are your views on moderation? It is said that we can't be too extreme because then we'll go back into sin. But we also see that for six years, St. Moses tried not to sleep in order to fight his lustful thoughts. Um, Moderation in everything except truth. Okay. Truth has no moderation. Truth is black and white. Okay. So I can't be moderate about my views about eucharist okay i can't be moderate about my um my views of trinity right like i can't be like well you know some take it like this and some like this i, I go in the no like there, when it comes to truth there's no moderation but when it comes to spiritual exercise or um what you're asking about is uh, moderation in, in your gym routine And yeah, you need moderation, right? If you walk into the gym and try and lift 400 pounds and you've never lifted anything, that's not moderation. You're going to mess up. And if you do too little, you're going to get no results. Um, And so that's why you need a moderator. Um, And that's the reason why we have spiritual guides um,
1: is that you need a coach. You need a personal trainer. Um, Christ is perfect. And the aim, um, but how do you deal with perfection and hindering you from
0: being, how, how do you deal with your perfection hindering you from
1: being perfected? Um, if the person can
0: clarify, um, oh, perfectionism, perfect, thank you. I was like, it's either imperfection or something else. Okay. That makes more sense. So how does a perfectionism hinder you from being perfect? That's a great question. Um, That's what we call um, one of the right-hand wars. Okay. So in spirituality, we talk about left-hand wars and we talk about right-hand wars. Left-hand wars are sinning, lying, cheating, cussing. Like those are left-hand wars. Those are the sins of things I shouldn't do. Right-hand wars are sins that we'd call over-righteousness. Okay. Where I'm using something holy in a non-holy way. Okay. And those are way harder. So that's an awesome question. And I I would say that the, the right way is, is to always remember the goal. That's why it's so important for us to always every day look at our baptism, right. Is to remember the goal to come back and say, what is this about? Okay. That always helps moderate me. Right. So for example, um, let's say, oh my gosh, COVID is taking over. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody is going online for services. I'm going to do 12 million services because I have enough energy and I have a love for God and I have zeal for those people. I'm going to do this, 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 because I feel like I would be imperfectly applying my gifts if I didn't, right? If I come back and say, what is the point of a meeting? What is the point of speaking? What is the point of fellowship? This might sound like a mean too philosophical, it's not. It's about coming back like St. Paul saying and ask, why do I do what I do? That will help regulate me of saying, okay, um, but if I do all this stuff, when am I going to read? to even have content for that stuff. That's a trivial question. If or pray, I, if, if you do that, I don't. Um, it'll then take me to another question of, if I'm doing all of
1: this and the goal is Christ, as you said, am I with Christ or am I talking about him? Because if I'm not, then I've lost the whole
0: point, not for myself, but even for everybody else. And my, and my car is going to run dry. So number one is remember the goal. Remember the aim. Find the objective question about the situation you're in. Part two, spiritual guide. Because it's so hard for us to see ourselves. Right? Um, like, physicians are great at diagnosing other people. With themselves, they're a lot less objective because they have so much knowledge. Right? That's why, like, like, even, even for me, I run everything that I'm doing by my spiritual father, right? I came back to him, I'm like, here are the things, and not as a commander, right? Like, he gives me so much freedom. But to say, I need another pair of eyes on this, um, because maybe I'm running amiss, right? Maybe, um, maybe what I'm doing is leading disaster. Maybe what I'm doing is actually feeding my ego. Maybe my perfectionism is me being my own idol, right? So um, ask the objective question um bring it under the light right and and in all things i think it goes without saying i just i don't do it enough at all is to put it up in prayer because if i'm actually talking to god i can hold it up to him and say dad i'm doing this for you um i've just assumed that you want me to do it (laughs) um maybe you didn't um so let me know because it's not for me um uh, this question may be irrelevant to the study, but what's the significance of the absolution during confession? It is not insignificant, because the the absolution is doing two things. The priest is saying, "Lord, I don't dare to absolve people. I have no authority to forgive sins." So the beginning of the absolution is the priest saying, "O Master, Lord Jesus Christ, Only-God Son, who gave this authority to the disciples, who labored in the church." I participate in the priesthood of the apostles right now. And the apostles did it because you said so. So that is the only reason why I'm going like this. That's a long preface to say those things. (laughs) And then having established that, we say, now this person in front of you, bless him or her, purify him or her, absolve him or her, Um, and and et cetera, et cetera. All of the verbs here are God doing, not me doing, right? And then the priest, because of the sacrifice, goes to the liturgy, which is another reason why we need Eucharist a lot, and takes those things, and just like in the Old Testament, transfers those things onto the Lamb of God, the sacrifice made once for all that St. Paul said today. Once he died once for all in that Eucharist. In every Eucharist you partake, it's that Eucharist. So, in a way, um, Eucharist is not making God present to us. It's our entering into his eternal presence. Not to get all philosophical. And absolution is your reconciliation um, formally to him combined with Eucharist. Those two go together, right? That's why it's your mission of sins. That's why St. Paul said, don't partake unworthily. No, it's, it's very related. Um, you mentioned father Lazarus. Can you please share a link to his talk or books? Um, sure. Um, I don't know where to post it. Um, but they, if you look up, um, literally father Lazarus, Egypt monk on YouTube, um, you'll find a bunch of videos Um, I know also on Anafora Radio um, his autobiography is on there that he like a group met with him asking him to tell a story and he did and they recorded it as well as I think he's got a a homily there on solitude I I think I saw um, on there but I'm not sure. Um, Sometimes we again once you guys are checked out I'm going to put 10 as like the ending time if that's okay Um, and anyone who wants to check out before then feel free sometimes we overstimulate ourselves with input above reception and true, simple presence with, with God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I agree. I think that we, we've gotten so used to
0: um, instant gratification and um, academia. We're, 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 we're products of the enlightenment. Okay. That's affected us more than we know right? So we're all about rationality. We're all about finding a reason for things. We're all about having a logical reason to things. We're very big on that. And you're right. And so sometimes we're actually even trying to do that with God or trying to make him come into our presence, trying to make him be our spouse. We're trying to make him be the things we say he is. When sometimes I wonder if he's just sitting there being like, yeah, I'm I'm right here. (laughs) <laughs> like you you didn't need to dance and do these things to make me like you. I I kind I, I already do. Um I was already in the room. Your incantation didn't bring me in. I was already here. I'm kind
1: of everywhere. Um so yeah, I I I hear you. Um
0: Can you speak more about how we're getting restored back to health? during this period of not receiving the Eucharist. Someone recently was speaking about the story of the saint that baptized her children in the water and God accepted that as a sacrament of baptism. Can you speak to how we receive grace outside the sacrament? So, I mean, life is a sacrament um, in the sense that um, it's a visible thing that has invisible grace in, in the traditional definition of, of that. Um, God is not present only in the Eucharist or only in sacraments, but... But we must partake of him through the sacrament, right? And so basically, we're running on reserve right now. Like,
1: for, to use a, a bodily analogy, we're running on our, on our fat. Um, and I'm confident in his grace,
0: right? That his grace is more powerful than... Our condition, and so I am certain that He will not leave us to die, and so whatever way He wants to infuse in us His own grace, His own life, He is free to do, um, and and He does. So I I I don't know. I don't know the answer to your question because I don't know what to do. I I know that we have grace. Um, I think during these times, Eucharist has two parts: the physical and the mystical and i think that for centuries we have taken for granted the mystical and lived only for the physical and so i think what we're learning right now is the mystical side of communion what it means to to be in communion right we're seeing this right for most of the time there was like 150 people here today Uh, when would 150 people got together on a monday night to be united through christ right so we're learning more about what it means to be his in a sense i just hope it doesn't last too long that we're like okay we get it um can we go back (laughs) to having it physically and mystically but i don't know i think that was the last question so um thank you guys for your patience and your kindness and not egging me through it um and um i've got to uh, make a run for it um but keep me please, in your prayers and um on thursday there won't be a bible study for any of you who are interested but there will be um um what's it called uh, a spiritual word and then a general q a um for those of you who are interested it'll be a little bit more laid back um than the than the bible study f- uh, format if that's okay
1: all right abuna can you pray for us Everyone is gonna pray for us. I did it first. <laughs> I totally beat you to it. Name the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Our Lord, make us worthy to pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven.
0: Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom,
1: the power, and the glory of forever and ever. Amen. Bless us, Father. I can't hear you, Buna. You're still muted. (laughs) I said, I'm
0: going to sit here praising you until you bless us. (laughs) Now the love of God, the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and
1: Savior, Jesus Christ, the gift and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Go in peace The peace of the Lord be with you. And with your spirit.